If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is proud to present the Boots on the Boulevard Concert Series during Rodeo Week with Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. Rodeo Week never sounded so good. With the best live country music at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas this December. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. featuring Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. More acts announced soon, but don't wait. Go to CosmopolitanLasVegas.com to book your experience. Boots on the Boulevard at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we have a very special guest. His name is Irony Singleton, and many people know him as T-Dog from the number one rated show on cable TV, AMC's The Walking Dead. Irony is a gentleman who's had a very rough life, but he's overcome many trials and tribulations. He's an incredibly successful actor, writer, producer, and performer. I first met Irony at the Walker Stalker Convention, which is the Comic-Con for The Walking Dead. And watching him from a distance, I saw many people naturally gravitate towards him. Irony shook every person's hand, from the individual checking tickets to the person setting up the stage. He was giving everyone the respect normally offered to royalty. People's faces were lighting up like Christmas lights around him, especially his former cast members. We observe someone who appears to be a walking geyser of positive energy. You're likely observing a rare occurrence, and that was the primary reason why we wanted to bring irony to your attention, to explore deeper on a soul level the mystery behind this man. For those of you who don't know what The Walking Dead is, it is a TV show set in an apocalyptic world where deadly zombies roam the world, and it focuses on the people who are surviving this horrific reality. Irony Singleton was a pivotal main cast member up until season three when his character was eaten alive by zombies. And of all the cast members that the zombies have eaten, they appear to have enjoyed eating Irony the most. They took their time in eating him, and the zombies even appeared to smile when they were doing so. It's as if Irony Singleton was the caviar of human beings for the zombies. Now, without further ado, here is our exclusive interview with Mr. Irony Singleton. Joining us now is Mr. Irony Singleton, and we are so honored to have him with us today. Mr. Singleton, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that, Brother Ryan. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited about this. Me too. Me too. Let's talk about your life in this great book that you wrote, Blindside of the Walking Dead, which is available on Amazon. It's got incredible writings. It's a really great story. highly recommend you check it out, but can you please talk a little bit about your life, about your relationship with your mother, and what happened to her? My understanding is that you guys had a very 
a very very tough upbringing. Yes, sir. It was. Um, you know, I uh, I grew up in the inner city of Atlanta, and in a housing project known as Perry Homes. It's been torn down since. Right around the time of the Olympics, they started making changes. The city, that is, and started tearing down all the inner city housing projects. Um, they've rebuilt the housing project to um, um, to accommodate uh, mixed income housing residents. And so um, uh, they moved my grandparents out, who raised me, my grandparents, by the way, and uh, moved them back in. So that was a blessing there. Um, but my mother, we um, she she passed when I was 18, and she died from HIV complications. She was um, she was addicted to crack and and um, and, and alcoholic also, and and um, she um, I would I would assume that she contracted the virus from um, you know IV drug use uh, heroin, um, but that's only speculation, so I wouldn't. I don't know that for a fact, but uh, pure speculation. But anyways, I um, I ran the streets. You know, I, I basically became a product of my environment. I ran the street, and I uh, I told her the pistol. I sold drugs. I I um, I was sexually promiscuous. Everything that that lifestyle entails, um, I basically lived it. Been there, done that. Hey, well, I, I grew up in a home. I need to ask mm-hmm. you before you go on. What were some of the life lessons that you? What were some of the earliest lessons that you were learning about life at this point? Because it said you were a product of your environment. So, what were some of the first things that you were starting to perceive or, or gauge about life at this point? Well, at at this point, when I was a child, uh, or or meaning in retrospect, looking back on it, yeah. or just as a child? Oh, just as a child, like that. as a child. What were some of the things that you were learning? What were some of the lessons that you felt that were important to you, or that you were starting to engage about what life was all about, coming from this environment? You know, one one of the things that jumps out at me is respect. And I, in an earlier interview, I talked about that and how a lot of my friends they would use profanity around adults, around their elders, but I, I was taught to not do that. So it, it always made me very uncomfortable as to hear a child who, you know, 10, 11 years old, 12, use profanity around 50-year-old, 60-year-old elderly men and women, even just adults, period, young adults. And I was like, that that that's not good at all. That doesn't feel right. And also just from what I saw adults do, I learned to not do, um, like as far as, um, you know, the, the, the fighting, although I did my fair share of it, I always thought that that was wrong and I felt a certain way about it. But, um, sometimes I think that for my survival, um, you know, for my survival, I had to do certain things because otherwise, you know, you, you, you would be at the, you know, at the butt end of a lot of, a lot of bad things happening to you. So, um, but but respect was a key thing, and what my uncle instilled in me, along with my other family members, but particularly my uncle, he instilled love to respect and love everybody, and I think that was one of the things that saved me. He said, "You respect the streets, the streets will respect you," and um, that was one of the big things I got then, as an eight or ten year old. Okay. Now, as an eight, ten-year-old, I mean, you you look at your life right now and you see things the way you were you, you were going as a kid. Do you believe 
at this point now that what you were doing at the time was wrong or um, that you would not do? I mean, do you feel that you were just doing what you were doing in order to survive? Yeah, it was a combination. It was a combination of, of the two, uh, in addition to other things perhaps. But what I was doing, I did feel as a child that they, they were wrong. Um, so, but at the same time, certain things I did were for survival as, as, as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird world. Like, like it's, it's like a world to go. It seemed like a different, um, life for me when I reflect on it. I'm like, man, was that a world that I lived in? But you know, it's a it's a tough thing. You have to walk like this 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 fine line, this tightrope, to where you know what you, you you're doing and you know it's wrong. But at the same time, if you don't do certain things, how will you know how will I survive? I'm not going to just die. So that's part of that human spirit to you know that that, that struggle to survive and surviving by by any means necessary. So. It's a tough thing to juxtapose, but it existed in, in that world for me. Okay, what would you say would be the, the toughest experience that you had as a child, and what impact did that experience have on you for the rest of your life? The, the toughest thing I experienced was my, and the, mo- the most traumatic thing of my life was experiencing my mother's death. And she, she died when I was 18 years old from, again, like I, I think I mentioned, you know, yeah. HIV complications and, and um and and at that moment i i had to you know i was trying to figure out what my purpose was for being in this world for living this life because everything prior to that for me for the most part had been lots of misery lots of pain lots of struggle lots of hardship and i was like i i I have no use in being here anymore i don't know why i'm here and I, I asked God at that time to just, if, if I'm meant to be here, please just show me the light. Let me know. Give me an answer. Give me a message. Give me a sign. And at that particular time, a car came around the corner um, on, on the street where I lived, and its headlights shone through my, my window and reflected off of my wall and illuminated my entire room. And it was it was it was an experience that it's it's an indescribable experience. It was an out of body experience that I'll probably never uh, get to experience again. Um, and I think one would be hard pressed to even experience it once in a lifetime. But because I was at I was at a crossroads to where I could have either, you know, the the sadness, the misery, the pain, the anger, everything, all the the mixed uh, array of emotions that I was experiencing from my mother's death. Um, could have caused me to go out in the streets and take it out on somebody else or have them to take it out on me. I could have ended up in prison. I could have ended up dead, killing somebody. Who knows anything? But God gave me that sign when I needed it, and it, and it, um, and it put it all into perspective for me. And it told me that I am here for a reason because I am an individual. There's not one individual on planet Earth that is like me not like you, not like everybody is different for a reason because we all have our 
um, uh, different things that we bring to the table. We all have our individual contributions that we have to make to society. And if we fall short of doing our part, then humanity suffers. So I made it my job to do my part. I can't do everybody's part. I can't play. I can only play my role. So what so is your speak. role? What is your role in this life? What is your, what is your purpose in this life? It's, it's very simple, and you know, I, I sum it up by just living a life steeped in truth and love. And I think that's everybody's purpose. I think purpose in life is to help others search for theirs, and on that journey, you know, we will find ours. But that also is under the umbrella of truth and love. Everything we do, it we do it with truth and we do it with love. You can't have one without the other. Um, and so, and I think that if everybody, say if everybody chose to just live a life steeped in truth and love or practices that, then the world would be a lot better. So when I meet people, it's as simple as just being, being kind to them, um, and, and, and treating them the way I want, I would want them to treat me. It's, 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 it's that plain and simple. And then other things start to happen from there. Like you're concerned about maybe, you know, family, career, and, and you know, those are, those are major things that, that we're, we're concerned about in this life. But when we practice truth and love, everything else just tends to fall into place. So that's my job. That's my purpose. That's my mission. That's my passion. Okay. And you said that you talked to God or you had this connection with God and you got a sign from God. From your perspective, what do you? What is your perception of what God is? Um, in the best way you can possibly describe what you feel God mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. God, God is everything. God is ubiquitous, meaning God is is everywhere, and God is all powerful, and God is in everything we do. Sometimes we, as human beings, we 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 distort uh, God's intention um, with what we do. So, and and from what we do, that's where that's where the sin comes into play, where when we start to dis- distort what God's intention is and what God is all about. God is all good. God is benevolent, and, and God is all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. So, and, and God is in all of us as long as we allow God to exist in us. Sometimes we let you know, other things overcome us. And um, that's where the sin takes over. Or when we start to distort things and we start, uh, we, we, we let our self-interest get the best of us as opposed to, um, you know, listening and obeying what, what, what God really, you know, what God really wants us to do. And that's, and that's truth and love. And that's the love and respect everybody. But when we start to do, you know, negative towards one another, we know God is just, is not in that. But we do you feel that mm-hmm. God is uh, your perspective? Do you feel that God is a being or a separate entity outside of humanity, or do you feel that God is an energy or an essence within all living things that's not exactly mm-hmm. a, a conscious being outside of a person? Mm-hmm. All of, all of the above, all of the above, and. But if I could kind of, if I had to reduce God, which, which, which I, I, w- I would never do that, but I had an epiphany back in 2002. And although I don't know because of our, you know, our, our sex and society and where, where we've been and where we've come, we've come a long way, especially as, uh, 
as um, uh, Americans, you know, in the U.S., um, you know, there, there's work to be still to be done and throughout the world. But because of our sexist views, we've always equated God to being a he, he, him, he. And, and God is way bigger than that. But I, again, like I said, if I had to reduce God to anything, I would actually reduce God, God to a she. I had an epiphany, Ryan. And I was coming from L.A. back in 2002, and I, was dri- I drove to L.A., and I drove on my way back. I was driving through Alabama and Georgia through the south and all the trees, and I took into account that, wow, the, you know, the, we have stuff in the south that is, is, is unique to just the south. A bunch of trees, all the greenery and stuff struck me, and all of a sudden it hit me that God was a woman. I was like, Whoa. And I started crying, right? I started crying. You, you, you can ask Tom Elite about this. She'll give you more details. And I called her on the phone, and she, and she answered. And I was like, God is a woman. God is a woman. God is. <laughs> and I was just crying. She said, wait a minute, calm down. What are you talking about? Calm down. And I couldn't stop it because it hit me. And I started thinking about, okay, when you think about um, um, uh, nurturers, like women are nurturers. That's what God is. When you think about forgiving, like women, and I, and I guess I think about it from uh, my own experiences, women tending to be more forgiving than men, um, women being the nurturers, um, women, all of the characteristics that a woman possesses are good, innately good. Those are the characteristics that God will possess. But it basically told me this. I said, okay, God may not possibly be a woman, but God is definitely not reduced to being a man either. And so it just brought my perspective and said that God is so much larger than, than being a he or she or an it. God is everything. So it's a part of who we are, our existence, and, and outside, part of our subconscious, part of our conscious. God is everything. Okay. And going back to another part of your life, my understanding is that your brother experienced some time in the prison system, and I was wondering what impact that had on your life and from your first-hand account of having somebody, a family member in the prison system, do you feel that the prison system is maybe a little bit too harsh or a little bit too aggressive in ensuring that people stay there? Yes, uh, and, and then to backtrack, but that's to answer your last question. It's a little too harsh. Yeah, because I would say... Um, because their biases exist um, through through whatever reasons, uh, but the, and and the biases kind of complicate things. And then we as human beings, with our prejudices, like we you know we have prejudices in the world that dictate how we respond to certain situations, how we respond to each other, and and a lot of the times you know that leads to people being in you know in, in the prison system when you know, under some of the circumstances or situations, others might not be in there. So, and at the same time, I think that our, we need to focus more on rehabilitation than just throwing people in jail and throwing them away because I know firsthand of friends of mine and family members that have been in prison and there was no rehabilitation at all. It was just, let's get rid of them. And the only thing they do and the only thing they did was become uh, more dependent on the system. They, they get three, three hot center cots. 
And that's basically it. And then so when they, they're back out into the real world, they don't know how to survive on their own. They, they don't know how to be independent. And they depend on the system for their survival. So their only alternative in a sense is, well, you know what? I was better off in jail. Let me go on back in there. Let me commit some type of nonviolent offense or crime. For the most part, you know, you got people that commit their violent offenses. And it could possibly lead to that from nonviolent to violent when they feel like, that there's no love. Okay, if they're a felon, they can't vote. They're basically a second-class citizen, if that. So now, in a sense, to them, um, with their limited education, limited um, opportunities in life, they feel forced to go back to living, living that life, and end up back in the prison system. So it is harsh, um, and 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 we have to focus more on on helping as opposed to just kind of forgetting about and throwing throwing them away. Uh, my brother. He went into the system at age 14. What did he do? And uh, what's that? What, what, what did he go in for? Drug, drug possession. Okay. And that he had just gotten into the, the, the drug uh, game, the drug situation, and selling drugs. So he and my uncle were caught, and they both went to, went to jail at the same time. But because my brother was a juvenile, he didn't stay in as long as my uncle. And my brother was my hero at that time, the, the closest hero to me. Of course, I had other heroes that I'd you know, seen on, on television and all that stuff, but the closest hero to me because he was only two years older or just shy of two years older than, than, than I am, he is. And, and um, he, played ba- he played all the sports, football, basketball, baseball. He was, he was on the swim team. He was, he was an athlete. Just like most of my family members, um, he was an athlete and he was very good. And I was not uh, nearly as good as he was, but I, I, I tried to be <laughs> and I worked at it. People knew me uh, because of him. So instead of referring to me as Robert, which is my birth name, instead of referring to me as Robert, they said Lil Ed, Lil, uh, Lil, Lil Ed's little brother. So his name was Edward, but people, his nickname was Lil Ed. And so they see me and they say, little Ed, little brother, hey. <laughs> and I was proud because I knew that, you know, they knew him because of him being so good in sports. And he could have he he gone to college for free through what was called the 100 Black Men of Atlanta. There's a, there's a, a group called the 100 Black Men of America, but then there are, are specific, you know, sects throughout the, the country and throughout, you know, in different cities. But they offered him a full-ride scholarship to go wherever he wanted to go and he threw it all away because of because of drugs because he saw the older kids in the neighborhood you know sporting the nicest clothes and the jewelry and all of that and that right there was more um pleasing to him than than uh going to school and getting an education just didn't because that that's not promoted it wasn't promoted in my neighborhood reading books and studying and education and all that stuff he wanted immediate gratification, and the drug game was the answer for that. So, yeah, he was, he was my hero, and, uh, and it affected me greatly when he started going to jail. But, again, uh, I've said in several interviews that I use negative to, to inspire me as well. Because if I had that negative, I, I wouldn't have had much of anything at all. I got some positive a lot, but I got, I got more negative. So I learned from what other people did uh, not to do. So with my brother, you know, going to jail the way he did, it told me that that's something that I, I didn't want to do because it's not like he had anything good to say about it when he got out, <laughs> nor did my uncle. 
All right, Nate, you saw life as an opportunity, and you climbed this big mountain, climbed out of the area you were with, and you became very successful. Can you please talk about when you started turning your life around, when you started seizing the opportunity to gauge life and to make life the one that you wanted to have? I would consciously at 18, but, but again, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, there was a, a moment where my mother, I, I dealt with physical and verbal abuse at, at the hands of my mother, and whom I love dearly uh, still, but lots of times she took a lot of her anger and stress and frustration uh, that was imposed on her by life. She took it out on me and my, my brother. But this particular time she had just smashed cake and ice cream on my face, and I went in the bathroom to get it off, and uh, and, and, and I had, had an epiphany at that moment. And that's when I first started having conversations with God. And God told me that, listen, whatever you're going through, what you're experiencing right now is for the greater good. Don't, don't, don't let this get the best of you. You just continue to listen and obey. You do what I tell you to do. You focus on that, and everything else will work itself out. I know it's tough right now. I know it. I know it's hard. I know that. I know it. And I know you know it. And you've noticed that for you. You've looked around. You've noticed that for quite some time. But um, but just continue to work hard and 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 listen and obey. So at that time, I think my conscience uh, was awakened to where I started to 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 just recognize what I was doing even more, a little more so. And so if I did something wrong, it it affected my conscience a, a little more. It's like wow, you know, I know God wouldn't be pleased with that. So that was around eight, nine, ten years old. But then, when I when I was when I turned eighteen and my mother died, that was the big moment. That was the moment to where I was like, okay, I've got to get this right. Okay, everything, whatever, whatever I experienced from this moment on, it could be it could be good or it could be bad. But ultimately, I determine what it is. Ultimately, what happens to me in this life from here on out, I determine it because I know better. And it's like, once you know better, you, you must do better. So at that time, I said, and, and, and if good is going to happen for me, then I have to live a life of goodness. I have to make the right decision. So a lot of the infidelity that, you know, that, that, that I, I was responsible for coming, I met my, my uh, wife now, but she was my girlfriend. Ninth grade, we met, and I was unfaithful all the way through high school and college. And when I turned 18, it was revealed to me that nothing good is going to come from it. You know, I, like, what am I doing? She thinks that I'm loyal. She thinks that I'm a good guy. She always thought I was a good guy. She always said that I was different from the pack because of how I carried myself. But how could I feel that way when I'm cheating? So that wasn't a good feeling. I said, I got, I've got to get this right. How can, how can I expect good things to happen for me when I'm out here living in this world and I'm messing around with different women and she's thinking that I'm just this loyal, devoted guy? And that wasn't the case. So my conscience felt, I felt a mess. But because, like I said, I grew up in a home with uh, hustlers, like I've said on many occasions, rather. I grew up in a home with hustlers, uh, pimps, literally pimps, gangsters, and um, and even worse, and you you know you name it. So I became a product of of the environment in which I lived, and so that was just something that was second nature to me. 
if my girlfriend wasn't around, I'd just go find another girl and have sex with her or whatever. But when I got 18 and my mom died and I said, I've got to do things differently. How can I continue to do things the same way and expect a different result? That's insanity. So I'm not crazy because I I know better. So I need to stop doing the things that I used to do, like selling drugs. I stopped stopped selling the drugs at 17. And there's a reason behind that, though. But I I made a promise to sell drugs again, never deal with drugs again. And all those things that I had done that affected me on a, a smaller scale, they affected me on a much larger scale. Um, when I when my mother died, and so that's when I started really living to please God, and I said that, and I made a conscious effort to 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 turn my life around and to to achieve something great, relatively speaking, something great, you know, with in in this life. Ernie, I've got two uh, quick questions for you. First thing is, do you feel that you've been here before? That this is the only lifetime you've had, and secondly, is do you feel that drugs are bad, that drugs um, in some way, shape, or form could actually be good if it comes to expanding consciousness, if it comes to expanding your perspectives um, and helping you to see life or see the answers in a fuller perspective? I think, well, to answer the first question, I do feel like I've been here before. I feel there are different levels of, of existence. I think that if you you do certain things wrong the last lifetime, this is um, one of a a few theories that I have, but I think that um, this may be the most prominent of of all the theories I have, but I think that we we have different levels of existence. If there's something that we did in the lifetime, uh, in our past lifetime, in my past lifetime, I didn't get it right, so I wanted to come back and do it and get it right this time. So be me doing it again if I don't get it right now. It's like I want to get it right this time so that my spirit can live on into perpetuity. And being in the spiritual domain is is pure bliss to me. But being having our spirit trapped into this flesh um, sometimes can be stressful and it could be painful. So I I would rather dwell in the in the spiritual than than the physical. Um, and the second part of that question, I'm sorry, you said, have I been yeah, here before? It, and drugs. It, no, it's about it's about drugs. So you 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 know you've, you mentioned a few times saying you know I stopped selling drugs, and um, you know basically we're implying you know the drugs were were bad. I'm just wondering if you feel that there's any ever benefit or positive mm-hmm. side to drugs because you know they they can expand or shift a person's perspective on life. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. If, if administered properly, I think that, yeah, um, drugs do have a place, especially if, if administered by doctors, you know, drugs can heal. Um, and, but the, but the, the jury is still, jury's still out on that. Some people say that they experience, uh, you know, an expansion of thinking or whatever when they take certain drugs. I've never taken, taken drugs like, you know, outside of what has, what was administered to me by doctors. So, I can't speak on that, but I think everything in moderation, there's a possibility of it serving some good, but if we overindulge and uh, if we get too, you know, greedy about it, I think those are our nemesis in life, our nemesis, passion and greed. So if we get greedy with anything that we're doing, then it could possibly serve more harm than good. 
And um, but in, anything in moderation, for the most part, I would say uh, could serve a, to be a good thing. I want to take to the point right now where you one day find yourself on the number one cable show in history, which is The Walking Dead. And not only are you on the show, but you are regarded as one of the most beloved characters on that show. Why do you feel that so many people connected with your character on that show? <laughs> it's, it, it's, you know, it's one of those indescribable experiences, and I, I'll do the best I can to try to, it's, uh, to try to describe it. But it is surreal. But it, it lets me know even further that that God is real. It given somebody that came from the circumstances and to be a part of the biggest television show in, in basic cable history is a testament to, to the, you know, to, to, to God's amazing grace. And, uh, and it's, it, it's a powerful thing. And, and it, it, it constantly serves as a motivator for me. And it, it encourages me to continue doing what I'm doing because uh, continue to live to please God because things are working out in my favor. What do you feel, is there a deeper meaning behind The Walking Dead, the idea that people are living in a world where there are a bunch of zombies and they're cannibalizing on the survivors? Do you think there's a deeper metaphysical or spiritual uh, lesson to be learned from that show? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I think it is. I think the show is symbolic of life. Uh, but at a greater extreme, though, I think, you, you know, you add the zombies to it to kind of exaggerate uh, the uh, what what human what we as humans have to have to deal with in in real life and i think that's that's part of why people gravitate uh towards the show uh because they they see themselves in at least one uh, of the characters in the show and people in real life we live our lives from day to day trying to figure out, trying to, trying to overcome certain struggles because nobody, nobody, no human being, I don't care how much money you have, it doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, what sex you are, where you live on planet Earth, whether you're in the Western Hemisphere, Eastern Hemisphere, nobody is immune to, to struggles, to the trials and tribulations of life. So everybody can watch, meaning everybody can watch that show and see their struggle in that show. And I think it's all about uniting as well because you see people from different cultures, different ethnicities and walks of life. You got, you know, you have representation of everybody in the show working together. You have, you know, you have Asians and, and whites and blacks and Hispanics, everybody coming together for a common cause and that's survival. And the message in that show, you know, is if we don't come together, if we don't come together as a people, then it's our doom, our demise. So I like that's one of the messages in there. You know, that's a great message that, that's, that's in there. But you've, you have families right now, they're trying to figure out, you know, are they going to get food to feed their families today or uh, how are they going to come up with the money to pay for their child's uh, surgery uh, that, that this, this, to, to cure this disease or illness that their child is dealing with or to take care of this brain tumor or whatever, be care of it. But they've worked 20, 30 years at a job paying their insurance and their insurance won't even cover the cost. 
So now they're stuck. Do they go out and commit a crime, rob a bank? You know, it goes back to like what we talked about early on. Like what, what I was doing in the inner city, you know, it was for my survival. But at the same time, I, I knew that a lot of times I realized that the stuff was wrong. But, hey, I would rather live, you know, than and do those things and survive than to just die. You know, you want to go out swinging. That, that you know, that's basically – that's. That, that's what our human existence is about. It's about struggling. It's about overcoming those things. So we're not just going to just bow down because innately we are fighters. That's how God created us uh, to survive. So they're faced with the question of do I go out and rob a bank or steal this money from my company or so that I can pay for this surgery for my child? That's the struggle that we deal with on a daily basis. That's what The Walking Dead presents to people. Constant struggles that they try to figure out, man, how would I deal with that situation? And it's in the fictional world. So it's it, it own struggles uh, and problems and just kind of, it, it, you know, it just kind of lets it, it, it allows the other people to lose themselves in that walking dead world. Mr. Irony Singleton, that was a fantastic and riveting interview. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we can learn more about Irony Singleton. By go, um, how, how can people learn more about you? What is your uh, website that you can go to? Oh, it's, uh, it's Irony Singleton, I-R-O-N-E-S-I-N-G-L-E-T-O-N.com. And uh, there's also a link to my Facebook page and my Twitter page at my website. Okay. And also, you can go on Amazon and buy Irony Singleton's book, Blindsided by the Walking Dead. He's a fantastic, riveting read. I think you'll enjoy it, and you'll learn a lot of inspirational stories in here, and you'll learn exactly how Irony overcame this incredible life of tribulation and turned it into a life of triumph. Mr. Singleton, it was truly an honor to talk with you today. Thank you so much. No, the, the, the honor is, is all mine, Ryan, and, and I appreciate you so much for what you do and everything that you've done and you, you, you continue to do for me. So um, I thank you, and I love you, brother, and, and continue doing your job. Will do. Will do. Like, I'm inspired by what you do, and I'm inspired by you coming on, coming into my life, and offering to do what you have done. So thank you, and I wish you, uh, you know, much continued success. Thank you so much for sitting Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. We can learn more about Miss O'Connor by going to her website at CarrieO'Connor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Irony Singleton? I have to tell you, Ryan, that a lot of times when you send me the interview, what I do first is before I even listen to the interview, I just tap into their energy. And when I tapped into this man's energy, I saw this beautiful card that's very popular in the New Age stores. It's been around forever where they have the image of the earth in the center and then surrounding the earth, holding hands. You'll see an angel. You'll see Buddha. You'll see an Indian. And it really shows our interconnectedness. And it's a beautiful, beautiful card. And what was interesting is I saw him in the center of the earth and he was holding on the earth in the center of all these angels. You have the angel there. You have the Indian. You have Jesus. You have all these different um, religious um, symbols. And he was holding holding the scales of justice and they were really being um, very equal. So what does that mean? That means that this man comes in with a strong connection to, he could um, affect a lot of people, the, the Indian people he could affect. It doesn't matter. Um, he could reach everybody. He has a long 
ability to touch people. I saw that he reaches people by their ears. He reaches their their eyes, their head. I saw that he plants seeds in people, and they don't even know it. He it looks like they he opens up their their crown chakra, and he's planting these seeds, these ideas in their head that that um, they could uh, change their life. He's all about transformational energy. And the scales of justice equal is that he comes in here as like the equalizer, that he has had a hard life growing up, but he shows us the amazing transformational energy. Then I saw this other image of him where it was his life. He had to have a strong Indian past life that wasn't too far back in his incarnational experience because I saw him as this chief. And behind him was this very big snake energy. And it's known in the indigenous shaman tribes that the snake medicine is what they call it, is known as the healer, and that the snake people teach people to heal all at once, not one scale at a time. We tend to take one issue, one experience in our life, and and we go and we have the traumas and dramas of that for years. But this man comes in here and tells us how we can heal traumatic things, how every single opportunity is an opportunity for us to transform ourselves, that we don't have to stay in our roles. He comes in here with his great big, it looks like a horn out of his mouth, so he has a huge message, and his message is to wake up people and, and really work and get out of the roles that they put themselves in. I love his energy. They do. And are there any surrounding spirits that are working with him at this point? Is there any deceased relatives or any um, angelic beings that currently assist his uh, mission? I see Archangel Michael's band around him very strong, and I always see Angel um, Michael with the, his sword up, and so that's like his missionary, like his his protectors around him. I also see that horn around him is like the angel of Raphael, the healer and the messenger. In Metatron, energy is real, the messenger. As far as his family energy, I saw going back to his father. I know that there was an absent father, but I see this. It looks is a great grandfather. It could even be a great uncle that comes in very strong wrong with him and he holds like this staff so he's there to help him he broke generational patterns he stepped away from generational patterns and that um grandfather in particular great grandfather is there to help him um change generational patterns and then on the mom's side i saw what looked like a maternal grandmother it, again could even be a great grandmother that stood in as a um it's whenever I see this, I call it the blue lady energy or people that have had abusive mothers um, or hard relationships with their moms. A lot of times when they're little, I see what it looks like. a You could say if almost like a fairy godmother that helps guide the the child since they're little. And a lot of the kids, they connect to it when they're young, but they forget about it. So he definitely had a guiding, um, you could say a guiding um, fairy godmother for him that has helped him to stay connected to God's source and be the messenger that he is. Okay, based on what you're reading in Irony's energy field, do you feel that Irony was the game changer for the trajectory of his soul group and the uh, trajectory of his family lineage based on the decisions in life that he's lived this time? Absolutely. He not only broke generational patterns, when I see the grandparents and the great-grandparents and the parents standing not only behind him, but they give him room. It's like they're seven feet behind him. That shows me that that individual broke generational patterns on both sides of the family that's allowing future generations to go down a different path. And he created energetically, literally, a different path for future generations to go down. That's a transformational energy, and that's exactly what he did. Okay. Uh, and the last question I have is, what are is there anything that you would recommend to him in terms of like how he can further progress his spiritual evolution for this lifetime? Are there any goals he should be focusing on? 
I see him taking more into writing. I, th- I love the one man show. I think he, I see him connecting with other people where he could do his bit. It's really important for him to be, uh, um, have his one man shot, but I'm also seeing him connecting with other people. It goes back to that card that I saw from the beginning where he could bring us another pe- person that brings in this aspect or another person that brings in a different aspect about life changing or transformational stories. And I see him working on that. And especially the next seven years, this guy is going to really take off July of this year is really important for him. I see it's really an explosive month for him and he's taken a giant step in having a um, bigger worldwide audience. Really like this man. Awesome. Miss Carrie O'Connor, that was a phenomenal analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure. Joining us now is the angel reader. Miss Laura Lynn, psychic medium. You can learn more about Miss Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Lynn, what can you tell us about Mr. Irony Singleton? I really enjoyed listening to his interview. He's a really neat guy, and I I was um, fascinated when I did do the meditation of what came through. Pretty much, it surprised me actually. I did receive information that he was a teacher in a past life for people who were deaf. Uh, He actually was a woman that came over here from Europe and brought over with her some interesting ways to teach uh, students how to communicate. And, uh, you know, he's so eloquent how he communicates and his whole purpose for this lifetime is to be a teacher. Uh, I believe he's been teaching people in the neighborhood they grew up with from birth. I mean, just from from a young, young age. And he's such a great role model. I, I just, um, just an exemplary human, and, and you can tell just from his voice how much he loves life and loves loves being with people. And, and to continue his journey, it's going to be fascinating to watch him. Okay. And do you see anything? Um, do you, is there any more you can elaborate on as far as his past lives go? Well, the what I got was when he moved here from Europe, he did. It, again, it was she. She brought information that she developed from uh, teaching, and. When when she migrated here, it was for with her husband, and I mean the purpose of the migration wasn't about this, but she ended up doing some really fascinating work. And when I'm going back a little bit further, I was um, I was a little bit etchy on what I was I was seeing. It was I I feel like. He was a young young man that that passed very early, tragically, and he might be bringing in some of that injury into his life today. Um, there was a shoulder injury uh, across. I mean, it was a shattered his upper quadrant was shattered uh, in a stagecoach accident. That's all I could capture, and his life was taken out probably around age 12 or 13 years old. But sometimes people can bring in injuries from the past, and it would be really interesting to find out. Of course, we know that he did play football, so 
you know, he probably does have some dents and bruises throughout his body from, from the injuries of that, but it was his upper quadrants that was just totally crushed. And I would love to, you know, just kind of talk to, see, you know, see if this is something he's brought into this life. Clear that path through healing. Okay, it- we can cut some cords and release, release some impressions. Well, it's pretty, pretty interesting that he was playing football. That he said, you know, he had this, and he's play. He had to play football in this life. Right, right. That's what I, you know, I when I was receiving that, um, receiving that information through meditation. I didn't know that at the time. I did find out after. But um, what I'd like to uh, talk about just for a moment is how fast I, I found it really interesting that he understood or has theories about living in different existence or having past existence in many different levels. And that is why um, bringing up this about that injury that he did suffer in a past, you know, it would be wonderful for him to, to have maybe perhaps a release and see what that does for his body. Uh, it just might be another thing for him to learn how correct he is about that uh, theory that he holds. And what do you see about his next lifetime? I believe he's going to continue being a teacher. I believe he is going to further his his work with how he communicates with people, uh, author, teacher, writer. And, you know, it does look like to me that he's going to get, become a little bit stronger in sports next lifetime. Sports is a great way to bring people together. And, it, it is a wonderful opportunity for people who are in lead positions to, you know, make a big difference in this world. And I do feel that that he's going to use that as a call out for that purpose. Is there any surrounding spirits that guide him in this life? Oh, okay. Spirits. I'm sorry. Um, yes, I got, well, there's, this was got a little bit confusing too. And I believe what's happened is that he has um, some deep, deep past lives that I wasn't able to uh, tap into perhaps. Maybe if I talked to him, I would have a little bit better opportunity. But um, I did get a couple uh, couple spirits that came through. One was Egyptian, um, seemed very old, old energy. And another seemed to be Middle Eastern. Uh, and I, I was having a hard time even understanding the language of the second uh, spirit, but I did have the impression that this was more about healing, that the, the, the purpose of this spirit was to bring a healing essence for him. And, you know, when I, when you're looking at being a teacher, I believe that the, the healing aspect goes hand in hand with that. So that's probably an energy that, that focuses through him. Miss Laura Lynn, there was a phenomenal analysis. And to learn more about Miss Laura Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Lynn. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is the astrophenom, Miss Constance Stellis, our astrologer. So to learn more about Miss Stellis, please go to her website at constancestellis.com. Miss Stellis, what can you tell us about Mr. Irony Singleton? Well, he has a concentrated and powerful chart. 
powerful because he has just a few signs that are represented in his chart. Everyone has a different pattern. Um, he is a Capricorn. Mercury is in Capricorn, and Venus is in Capricorn. And then he has his moon and Pluto in Libra. Now, the moon and Pluto together is the symbol, not symbol, is, is, is a hallmark of a great deal of drive, a great deal of intensity and uh, leadership, um, very, uh, very dynamic in that direction. Um, if he decides to walk on the, uh, on the dark side, so to speak, it could be quite manipulative, but Libra is so charming that I don't think he, he does that. And he has a very um, balanced and fair sense of how to behave. Now, this is all square, which is not an easy combination with the Sun, Mercury, and Venus. The man is incredibly hardworking, and um, I think will, you know, I think his, his career started out kind of slowly, but um, now he's still in Walking Dead, right? Yes. Well, actually, no, no, yeah. you know, he was killed off. He was, uh, his, his character he was, was killed off. Okay, yeah. I, I haven't watched it. But uh, he, he is uh, at the beginning of, uh, of, of very great things. And it's interesting. I don't know too much about the show, but it's about zombies, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and um, I wouldn't say that he's an absolute shoe-in for uh, metaphysical things, but um, kind of uh, questioning the, the uh, depths of uh, spirit and uh, also everyday life is very much indicated for his, uh, for his chart. So he might very well go in that direction uh, again because it's also quite popular. Uh, I think he will be a director um, in the future as well as an actor. And um, he's a pretty good sport uh, athlete, um, uh, whether he plays an athlete or, or not, with the um, uh, two Sagittarius um, positions in his chart. He is also very, very philanthropic. Um, so I don't think he started out with a lot of money, but he's making money and will make money now, and he will be very kind of front and center uh, sharing that uh, with people in need or organizations that really need his, uh, his help. Um, very compassionate chart and also very driven, very driven. And I know you, we always like to talk about past lives. Um, I would say he is a combination of someone who was involved with um, the clergy uh, or at least spiritual mastery and uh, also the arts, probably music. Um, and um, I don't know about next time around, but he's got a lot to do this time around, and he has a very long life. Okay. And do you feel that his breakout role, or, his, or he'll reach more peaks in his acting? Do you think his best roles are, are yet to come? Oh, yet to come, most definitely. Most definitely, and as I said, I also think that he'll, he, he will direct. He's a natural leader. He's a natural leader and very cautious about that. It's not power for the sake of you know, being the boss and everybody should do what I say because I'm the boss. He, he um, uh, leads by example, and um, as he gets older, because let's see, what now he's just 40, right? Um, as he starts to move into 40 to 45, after 45, I think that um, um, things will will 
well, I can't say they haven't flowered for him already, <laughs> but they, they will increase. They so will increase. Based on his chart, is there any particular lesson that he came here to learn for this lifetime around? Um, always a good question. Um, well, we will look at the nodes of the moon. Where am I finding? Yeah. To, um, to avoid, uh, um, to avoid flattery and charm and speak very, very truthfully and honestly. All right. Miss Constance Stellis, thank you so much for that great analysis. And to learn more about Miss Stellis, please go to our website at ConstanceStellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Stellis. My pleasure. Happy New Year to all. Yep. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa Kaza. We're going to learn more about Miss Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, what can you tell us about Mr. Irony Singleton? Oh, Ryan, it was just a true honor to to listen to him in, in the interview that you had. I was totally engrossed through the entire interview. I have to say, I'd love to get on this book at that. I think I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, Mr. Singleton has one of the most softest and gentlest hearts I have come across. There are there are some, but uh, he's very strong. Uh, very warm, loving, and nurturing spirit. So he, he actually, I have to say, has a lot more feminine energy in him rather than the masculine. Okay. And he's also actually extremely psychic and clairvoyant. He's, I feel, directly connected to divine or, or divine source. And some of these qualities, that's really why he's loved by so many. And, and even in his role uh, on The Walking Dead, which I'll, I'll get to in a few minutes. Um, now, one thing I'd like to address is that I feel that, like he, of course, he's you know learning a lot, uh, spiritually speaking, in this lifetime. And he does have, you know, part part of the reason behind uh, past lives partially accurate. Like I said, you know, sometimes we wish to come back to get things right, like he says. But quite often, it's actually also all about us trying to continue on with our spirit's purposes or or intentions, like learning and growth and expansion. Like for example, a lot of his learning and, and realizations, spiritually speaking. Is intended is going to be intended for use in his next life. Uh, yes, they're being used today, but more so they're going to be used a lot more in his next life. And also, a lot of qualities shown in this life were gained from from past lives. So, um, for example, I was shown um, three past lives. Two of them they weren't as clear as the third, but. Um, the first one I saw him as definitely a Buddhist monk. Um, the time frame for that is unknown. I don't know uh, when that occurred. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that's where he learned the concept of how uh, peace and love are our uh, collective purpose. Then from there, his next life from that, he was actually a Native American um, I can't differentiate whether he was a chief or shaman. I'm wondering if he could be both. Both. I don't know if he can be, but it's. I'm wanting to lean towards either or. And this was in the 1700s to 1750s. And in that life, like it, he taught people 
all the virtues that are found within the, the seven grandfather teachings. So, for example, truth and love, respect, courage, and humility. That's where he got that. And so his epiphanies, as he, as he refers them as, they are actually him remembering or recalling his lessons from those past lives. That's where those qualities in him today have come from. So everything has divine reason and intent behind it. And the third past life, this one is much more um, detailed, I got. I even have a year, I'm being told around 1830, 1835. Um, he was involved in the, the, the slavery back in those days. And I am actually being shown very he was a natural leader. And so what he did is once he reached Canada, he began to actually help other escaped um, slaves adapt to life in Upper Canada. Upper Can I keep hearing Upper Canada, and that in history is uh, Ontario, I believe. And so he joined an anti-slavery movement, and he even spoke publicly about his experiences. So he, after the, the American Civil War in 1865, he even helped others. Uh, they, they migrated up to Canada, and he adapt, helped, uh, helped them to adapt to life here in Canada. So that's where he learned his public speaking and his advocacy and his strong leadership skills. So all, all of those three past lives, like I said, has brought us into this current life and then what he's learning today, um, the knowledge that he's, he's amassing now, spiritually speaking, because in his next lifetime, which I feel he will be coming back relatively quickly. Uh, he's going to be quite the, the strong spiritual teacher um, in, in that time period. Now, his role on The Walking Dead was successful and, and so dearly loved, mainly because of the powerful loving energy that his actual person emits. It's, it's got really nothing to do with the character itself. It's him and his energy field, and the love, and the nurturing, and the direct connection to, to divine that he, he emits from, him, from himself. So, wait, and, I need to pause you there for one second. Are you saying that the character that he was in for The Walking Dead was not nearly as significant, and he only, the character only became more significant, or more uh, useful, or more important because of Irony's uh, energy? Yeah, yep. That's it's a very attractive energy, and that energy uh, automatically draws love and adoration from others. So it's really, and, and it's the way that he portrayed the character. If you think about it, his energy and the qualities that he does have, well, of course that's going to go in to the character. So it just adds to the character even more. It's not the character per se. It's, it's really him and his energy. And the thing is, the role, the purpose of that role was to actually give him a tool or a way to um, progress himself further along his, his um, life purpose. Uh, well, 
a small portion of his life purpose anyways, because realize celebrities are actually respected and listened to so much more. They have so much more weight in terms of whatever they're advocating for. So this is, this. everything happens for a reason. That's why I've always said that everything and everything always has divine intent behind it. Reasoning that we may not even realize until further on down our, our paths. So that actually brings me to uh, some, you know, regarding purpose. Okay, yes, he, like he says, is to show love and to show respect unconditionally and, and, and that. But, you know, he needs to expand on that. How do you show the greatest love of all, of all time? And it, how we do that is we pass on the wisdom and knowledge gained from our experiences to to those who are going through similar experiences. We're we're there to teach and to guide and to pass on that wisdom. That's what a, a, most of our purpose is here. And with that being said, I don't know if he's doing this or not yet. Maybe he's thinking about it. I, I I'm I'm not too well learned on Mr. Singleton's life path. Um, factually, but I'm being told that he's actually meant to work with kids, uh, teens mainly, and, and their parents, and like I said, to pass on his wisdom, his experiences, and what and all that he's gained from his own life. That's that what he should be doing. Um, he's being strongly encouraged to keep doing it, if he is doing it, uh, keep and expand. I keep hearing the word expand, so do more in some way as uh, just a personal suggestion by me, uh, maybe consider going to schools to share some of his experiences and, and, you know, practice his advocacy in that manner. Because I tell you, there in this world today, there are more and more growing numbers of teens, especially, that, that do require that inspiration and that motivation. And Mr. Singleton is the one to give it to them. Um, Another another thing that I was actually picking up on here in respect to that is that I actually see him uh, most likely making some sort of inspirational movie that could very well be based on his own life experiences. I see this happening, I'd say, in a five to ten years' time. I see this movie being created by him that is going to be extremely motivational and it's going to be quite quite successful uh, publicly. Um, so that's just going to be another way that he's going to be fulfilling part of his purpose here. Oh, and one more thing I almost forgot to, I don't know why I forgot this because it's very, actually very important. Um, for Mr. Singleton's third past life where I saw him uh, helping the escaped slaves in, in Canada, it is very rare that I can do this. So this is why it's so important I get this out. I actually picked up a name or a form of a name that uh, either if he's interested, he can look it up himself quite possibly because it is historical in some aspect. Um, I'm picking up the name. It's the Hansen or Hansen. Um, I'm almost also wanting to say Henderson, but it's, I don't feel it's that. It's a two-syllable Hansen or Henson, I believe that that was his last name in that in that lifetime. So if um, maybe we can find some research on this individual, um, that would be great. At least we have 
we have a name for once from me, so I think that's awesome. Oh. Miss Lisa Kaza, that was a in-depth and uh, fascinating analysis. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. Kaza, please go to her website at lisakaza.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Kaza. Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Special thanks to Mr. Irony Singleton. Special thanks to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Constance Stellis, and Miss Lisa Kaza. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you infinite peace, love, and fears. Take good care and have an unbelievable rest of the week. Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is proud to present the Boots on the Boulevard Concert Series during Rodeo Week with Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. Rodeo Week never sounded so good. With the best live country music at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas this December. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. featuring Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. More acts announced soon, but don't wait. Go to CosmopolitanLasVegas.com to book your experience. Boots on the Boulevard at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is proud to present the Boots on the Boulevard Concert Series during Rodeo Week with Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. Rodeo Week never sounded so good. With the best live country music at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas this December. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. featuring Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. More acts announced soon, but don't wait. Go to CosmopolitanLasVegas.com to book your experience. Boots on the Boulevard at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas.